Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Hey, take your Bibles, turn over to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. When Dawn and I lived in Virginia, one year I'd gone to the Virginia Baptist Convention annual meeting where all great Virginia Baptists get together. And uh, I was in my late 20s. I had a friend about the same age. Uh, his name was Rick. And, and Rick had been asked to be on the program. He got to do the closing prayer before lunch. Now, if you've ever been to one of these meetings, nobody's there at that particular time because everybody's left during the sermon so they could get to lunch and everything. But Rick was all excited. I mean, he's in his 20s. He's going to be on the stage and meet all the big wigs. And, and he's just so excited. And so that morning he's getting ready. He bought a new suit, new shoes, had his shirt you know, pressed and ready to go. He had a haircut, probably had a mani-pedi. I didn't check that close when, when he was getting ready. You know, everything looked so good. And then we go and we're at the meeting and we're sitting on like the second row because Rick's going to pray at the end. And they told him, now when the time comes, just stand on the side of the stage and we'll bring you up. And he said, you know, I'm going to get to meet all these people and everything. I said, yeah, it's real exciting, you know. And so then the time came, they, they motioned for Rick, they introduced him. He goes up as he starts to pray, everybody gets up and starts leaving the room. They're trying to get to lunch first while he's praying. And then he gets through with the prayer, his chance to meet all the important people. And he turns around and everyone is gone. Everyone has gone backstage and left while he was praying. He's on the stage by himself and me and the rest of his friends are dying laughing over on the second row in his brand new suit, his 30 seconds of fame and his written prayer now over. And we're saying, okay, man, you know, you made us late for lunch. Everybody else is gone. I don't know what we're going to do. And we finally get out of there. His encounter with greatness was not what he thought it was going to be. Well, over in Isaiah 6, we're going to see another encounter with greatness, and it's going to be more than Isaiah ever thought that it could be. So turn over to Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 1. And the first thing we see is this. God's greatness and glory is more than we could ever imagine. God's greatness and glory is more than we can imagine. Now, we're in a sermon series here on Sunday morning called Superstar where we're talking about the greatness and the holiness of God. And the first week we looked at the fact of that God is your friend. God does love you. God does want a relationship with you. But there's times in your life that you need more than a buddy. There's times in a life that you need a God of power and glory. And then last week we talked about the fear of the Lord. And we talked about how that fear of the Lord is supposed to draw us to God and not away from him if we have the right kind of fear. So today we're going to be looking and talking about an encounter with God and seeing God's greatness and God's glory. So look down to verse 1. Isaiah kind of sets the background at the very beginning of verse 1. He says, in the year that Uzziah died. So this writing is taking place when Uzziah, the king of Judah, had died. Now Uzziah reigned for 52 years. He was a very good king. Israel was strong, prosperous. This was the golden age of Israel. Uh, there, was, there was peace. There was no conflict around them. The country was growing. 
Things were so good that at one point Uzziah thought too much of himself, thought things were going so well. He tried to go into the temple where only the priests were and to offer a sacrifice, and he was struck with leprosy for the rest of his life. And even though that was something that that was always with him, the country remained strong and prosperous and a very godly place at this particular time. Now Uzziah is dead. What's ahead? You know, they don't know. What's the new king going to be like? This guy's led them for five decades, and now that he's gone, they're wondering, what's the new king going to be? Are we still going to be prosperous? Will there still be peace? And in this vision, Isaiah is reminded of one thing. Your king may be dead, but the true king of kings is still on the throne and is still reigning. Let's go back to verse 1. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, high and lifted up, seated on a throne. So Isaiah is given a vision of the throne room of heaven itself. Now, you know, you can't have a a greater vision than that. He literally sees the place where God is dwelling with God on the throne himself. And he begins to be overwhelmed at this vision of the Lord who is high and lifted up. And seated upon his throne. Probably everybody here at one time or another has visited somebody's famous house or something, some mansion. Uh, When Dawn and I were uh, in California back in January, we went to the Huntington Gardens and Library uh, in Pasadena. Anybody ever been there? It is. That's not it. But but uh, I'm getting to that next. That was that was that was that was good. Absolutely amazing. The Huntington family had this huge mansion. Uh, can't even describe how, how ornate and wonderful. It was, a, it was an amazing place. But that pales in comparison to the picture you just saw, Bill Gates's house. Bill Gates's house is 66,000 square feet. Whose house is bigger than that? Okay, a couple of you. 66,000 square feet. When he built it, it just cost $63 million. It appraised this year for $124 million. Uh, here's some, uh, a couple of pictures of the inside of the house. That's his library uh, that, you ha- that he has in the house. That's very nice. And that's his media room uh, that Bill Gates has in his house. So $124 million mansion that Bill Gates has there. Now, here's the thing. Even that pales in comparison to the vision that Isaiah saw. He saw the Lord himself. And that word Lord is the word Yahweh, the the personal name that God gave Moses on the mountain. I am that I am. He saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And so we see this amazing sight here. Uh, he's on the throne and his, his, his train literally fills the entire temple uh, from the royal robe that he's wearing. Now, the longest train ever made was a mile and a half long in Bucharest, Romania. Got a picture of it uh, right here, the, the train uh, that she was wearing. Look how far it goes down, down the road there behind her. She's on a hot air balloon, so you get a little more perspective and everything. Uh, so the train filled the entire temple. Keep reading, verse 2. Above him were seraphim. Now, seraphim were some sort of angelic being. We don't know uh, what they were, but they're some kind of heavenly being. And they had six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. Now, why would they be covering their faces? They're covering their faces because the one who is on the throne is so holy, they can't look at him. And so he's too great. They're shadowing their face from him. With two wings, they cover their feet. 
Now, why are they covering their feet? Because that was a sign of respect, humility, modesty. And so they, they can't look at this great one on the throne. They, they cover their feet out of respect and humility for the one that's on the throne. And with two wings, they fly. So there's some pretty weird things, okay? So you're Isaiah. You have this vision. You've got this great throne room. You've got these weird six-wing creatures that are there, that are, that are, and then they're flying around. And in verse 3, they're calling out to one another. So these seraphim are calling to one another while they're flying around. And uh, you probably call out to people all the time, you know, honey, can you get me another iced tea or something like that? You know, you're calling out to people. And so they're calling out, but look at what they're saying when they call out. They call out to one another, this guy that's on the throne is holy. So he's holy. That word holy, we've talked about it. It means different, set apart, above, unique, special. So this one on the throne, he's different. He's set apart. He's unique. He's above. He's special. But he's not just holy. He's holy, holy. He's he's double holy. But he's not just that. He's triple. He's holy to the third power. He's holy, holy, holy. So he's so much different and set apart than any and everything else in the entire world. Holy, 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 we're told, is the Lord Almighty. The one on the throne is Almighty. Now, the literal translation of that Greek word, of that Hebrew word, is the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. And a lot of people think instead of hosts, it should be better translated angel armies. He is the Lord of the armies of angels. Now, that gives it a little bit different perspective. He's Lord Almighty. No, this one on the throne, he's the Lord who rules the armies of heaven. Wow. Okay, a little bit different feel when you think about it right there. So he's holy to the third power. He rules the armies of of heaven. We're told the entire earth is full of his glory. Wow. Everything you see on earth, all these amazing things. Do, Do me a favor. Just look at your hand for a second. And bend your fingers and think how amazing and wonderful something like that is. The whole earth is full of his glory. And as these seraphim, these weird six-winged things are flying around and shouting, the sound of their voice is so powerful that the entire temple begins to shake. And it's filled with smoke as they're shouting out, holy Holy, holy. The greatness and the power of God, the Lord of hosts, God Almighty, the God of angel armies, is greater than anything we can imagine. And that's why we make a mistake when we only see God as our buddy. And we don't understand the greatness and the power of the God that we worship. When Isaiah here is given a glimpse of the throne room of heaven, it changes everything about his perspective of God. God is so different, so much greater than we are. Remember the old Greek gods? The Greek gods were just like we are. They were petty and jealous and angry and spiteful and everything else. And constantly fighting with one another. They were, they were gods made in our image. This is a God that is so far above and so different He is holy to the third power. So how do you react to something like that? If you're Isaiah and you see this vision of this holy to the third power Lord of angel armies, 
How do you respond to something like that? Let's see what Isaiah did. That's the next thing we see in our scripture. At our best, the way that we live is just dirty rags compared to the glory of God. Our best is dirty rags compared to the glory of God. So the the room is shaking. The the seraphim are screaming, holy, holy, holy. And in verse 5, look at what Isaiah cries out. He screams this, woe is me. I am ruined. Now, why would that be your reaction to the glory of God? Because suddenly he's come face to face with how great God is. And the way that he is living and the person he is is so much inferior to what he's seeing that he thinks this can't be good. Woe is me. This is a great, perfect God. He's good and righteous. No no bad thing can come before him. I'm definitely about to face God's judgment. And so he is scared. This is the wrong kind of the fear of the Lord we talked about last week. He thinks it's all over. Uh, Looking at my life, I pale in comparison to this God. There's nothing I can do. Woe is me. I'm ruined. And then he says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Now, what's he mean by that? He means my whole life's been fake. My whole life I've been a poser. None of this is true. I'm acting like Isaiah the prophet. And now I've seen the Lord and I see how small and how sinful and how dirty I really am. And I know I've got unclean lips. I've been lying and faking my entire life. And I didn't even realize how bad that it was. But it's not just me. It's everybody else. It's not just me in this boat. There's no one I've ever met that could stand before the greatness of this Lord that we worship this day. I'm ruined. Uh, It's all over. And then he says, why? Because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of angel armies. And so when he sees and compares himself to God, everything looks different. You know, in Romans 3.23, we're told all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every person in this world. And so we are trying to approach a holy, perfect God as sinful, flawed people. And that's the problem that Isaiah was having here. It just doesn't compare. Isaiah was comparing his life to the holiness of God, and it just wasn't the same thing. Take a look at this picture uh, here. Uh, We are the rotten apple on the one side, and God is the other. We think we look good until we see what good really is. And then it pales in comparison. Let me give you a little example of what we're talking about here. Let's say this speaker here. No, Michaela, come on up here. Michaela wanted to volunteer for this. Thank you, Michaela. That's what an intern does. They, they get, you, know, you do things, you know, other duties as assigned by the pastor. Remember that? Okay. Okay. So Michaela, as you can tell, is the awesome glory of the Lord Almighty. Okay. That's Michaela. Is that okay so far? Okay. Okay. You got that one. Okay. So I'm Isaiah, or I'm you. And I look at, at the rest of the world, and you got all these bad, evil, sinful people. And I think, well, look at me. I am so much better than they are. 
They are bad, wicked, sinful people. And look at how I'm living, man. I was raised in church. I've got on, this is a Brooks Brothers shirt, people. You know, I just wanted you to know that. When I put it on, I was surprised myself. You know, I thought, how did that get, did somebody leave that in my closet by mistake or something? And so, you know, uh, you know, you look good, you look back, and you go, look at those bad, sinful people. And then we try to reach out to the holy, perfect God. And we see how far away we are. And so we work ourselves to death feeling guilty and trying to make ourselves better. And we take a little step or two. But we're so far away from the glory of God. And that's where Isaiah came out. Woe is me. There's nothing I could ever do to reach that. Thank you, Michaela. Great job, Michaela. Great job. Bonus. You'll get a bonus for that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. As we go there. So here's Isaiah. Okay, there's no hope for me. There's no hope for anybody else. There's no way we can ever reach that kind of God. And you know what? He's 100% right. There's no good deed you could ever do that will help you reach that God. There is no good thing you could ever believe that will good enough to reach that God. There, there is no action that you could take or service that you could do. You will never live a perfect enough life to get all the way down to the perfect and holy God. But that's where the good news comes in. God takes the initiative. And he takes the initiative to bring unworthy, sinful people to him. What Isaiah couldn't do. What Isaiah couldn't do because he was too weak, too sinful, too inconsistent, and too flawed, God did for him. What Isaiah couldn't do through his own efforts, God did for him. What Isaiah couldn't do because he was just too far away, the holy God to the third power Lord of angel armies does for him. Look down to verse 6. When verse 6 starts, it's more frightening than encouraging to Isaiah. Because what's Isaiah thinks going to happen right now? He's about to be zapped. You know, and so he's expecting to be zapped. And then we have verse 6. I'm waiting to be zapped when one of those scary, weird seraphim six-wing things flies and picks up a live coal and starts flying towards me. Would that be comforting to you? No. That wouldn't be comforting at all. Isaiah's thinking, okay, this is it. It was good while it lasted. Bye-bye. He's waiting for the judgment to come. Verse 7. And with it, he touched my mouth. And he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. What did he say? I'm a man of unclean lips. And what does the angel say? Okay, you think you've been faking and posing and you're not the great prophet everybody thinks and you're really so far away from God. So guess what? I'm touching you with this live coal on those unclean lips. Now, fire was considered something that would purify. And so he says, I'm touching you with this live coal. You're being purified by God. Look what it's doing Your guilt is taken away. Your sin has been atoned for. And so what Isaiah is being told is what you can't do, God's doing for you. God is giving you grace, forgiveness, love, acceptance. He is purifying you. Now let me tell you what he's really saying here is now there's nothing left to keep you from God. 
all of those sins and problems and your imperfections and your flaws, I've just taken them all away. And there's nothing that keeps you from coming to me any longer. And for us, as we look through the course of history, the greatest thing that ever happened was when Jesus Christ went to the cross and he died on the cross and he took your sins upon him. Jesus died for you to be forgiven. All of those things keeping you from God were put upon Jesus. And now nothing keeps you from God. If you go back and you read the crucifixion stories, there's something that's said in every one of the synoptics, all three of the synoptic gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it says that when Jesus died, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Now that veil of the temple was this huge curtain, thick, huge curtain, and it separated the people from the Holy of Holies. And nobody could ever go into the Holy of Holies except one day a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, that the high priest could go in. And he walked in backwards because it was too much for anyone to go in there, throwing blood behind him uh, so he wouldn't be zapped himself as he went into the Holy of Holies. And when Jesus died on the cross and your sins were put on him, that veil was torn in two. From the top to the bottom. And the symbolism was this. Nothing keeps you from God any longer. Your sins are gone. You've been made pure. Everything has changed about you. Almost unbelievable. You know, it's interesting that when our scripture started in verse 2, we're told that the seraphim covered their face because God was too holy to look at. And they covered their feet Because of respect and humility. But what we're being told here is that you don't need to do that any longer. You don't need to cover your eyes from God. The temple veil is gone. There is nothing in you that is sinful or impure anymore. Now we look at ourselves and say, well, I see all of these stuff inside of me and everything I do. But those things are being placed on Jesus. And now you are pure. And so you can look upon God. You know, it's really interesting in Isaiah that he has this vision of the throne room of God and God is, is so far away and so separate and so holy. But do you know John at the very end of the Bible in Revelation 21, John is given a glimpse of the throne room of God again, just like Isaiah had. And look up here and let's see what John says. I heard a loud voice from the throne. Now, who was the first voice from in Isaiah? It was from the seraphim. This isn't from the seraphim. This is from God. I heard a voice from the throne itself. Look, God's dwelling place is now among people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and will be their God. How is that made possible? A perfect, holy God with sinful, evil people because our sins have been taken away. We have been washed pure and nothing can keep us from God any longer. So what should that cause us to do? How do we react to something like that? If we really believe that our sins have been removed through the sacrifice of Jesus, that the grave could not keep him in the ground as we just read, and that now we can come to him and be with him, how do we react to something like that? And that's the last thing we see in our scripture. When we experience God's grace, it should lead us to serve him with enthusiasm. 
Look down to verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord. This is no longer the seraphim. This is the Lord, holy to the third power, Lord of angel armies. I heard the Lord say, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And so here is Isaiah. He's just had this unbelievable vision. His sin and guilt has been taken away. And then he hears from the throne room of God, a voice from the throne itself, from God himself. It says, hey, I've got a job to do. Who'll do it for me? And Isaiah is overwhelmed. He's just had this unbelievable forgiveness. And he goes, ooh, 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 hey, hey, ooh, 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 have me. Remember me? I'll do it. I'll do it. Please let me do it. Is that what you see on Sunday morning? On Sunday morning, do you walk in and see a group of people going, ooh, 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 God's forgiven me. It's unbelievable. You don't know what's happened to me, how much he loves me. Ooh, ooh, please, please let me do something to serve you. The difference is Isaiah was overwhelmed by God's grace. And when he was overwhelmed by it, it caused him to want to serve God with vigor and with passion. And that's still where we need to be today. Because we so often hear the words, oh, you're forgiven, you have grace, you're saved. It's amazing. And we don't really understand the power and the significance of what we're talking about because we hear it so often. Isaiah heard it often. But when he encountered the truth of it, it changed everything about him. And that's where we need to be today looking at the truth of a holy God that loves us despite our flaws and has forgiven us. So how do you respond to something like that? I think there's a lot of different ways you can respond. One way you can respond is if you're here today and you've been confronted with the fact that God loves you and forgives you and you've never made that that step towards him, then today it is no coincidence that you're here and you need to say, I believe in Jesus Christ and I'm going to follow him as my Lord and Savior. That's the first thing you can do. If you really believe that happened, come and say, Lord, I've tried it my way and I'm getting a step or two, but I'm so far away. Father, forgive me, pull me pull me the rest of the way. If you've made that decision, maybe the next thing you need to do, okay, I I believe in Jesus, I I, I prayed, I've accepted him, then the next thing you need to do is you need to follow him in baptism. And if you've done that, and, and you've been coming to this church for a while, and this is the church family that you feel God is leading you to, then you need to be a part of what's going on here, and you need to join the church. Okay, I need to come down, I need to be a, a real part of what's going on here. And if you've done that, how about saying, okay, I'm going to start living a life that says uh, that I really do believe in him, that I really do follow him, that people will see. And if you're doing that, how about this? How about looking in your life who needs that word and that grace and tell them about what you found in your life? There's a lot of different ways to respond, but we only respond when we understand what has happened to us and we really appreciate it. And when we do that, the things of this world begin to pale in comparison. Probably a lot of you remember Sean Johnson. In 2008, she won one gold medal at the Olympics and three silver medals. 
And uh, there's a really interesting story she tells about when she was on the podium right here receiving her gold medal. And she said, man, she knew it. She was going to be rich. She was going to be famous. They already had endorsement deals signed up. I didn't know they did this. But beforehand, people tell you, man, you win a gold medal and we'll sign you today and, you, you know, to several million dollars. She knew she was rich the rest of her life. She was going to be famous the rest of her life. Everything has changed. What she worked her entire life for has just come to pass. And you know what Sean Johnson said? When I was standing on that podium, I looked out and I thought, is this it? Is this what I worked my whole life for? Because it's really nothing. So I'll get a little bit nicer house than somebody else. It's not going to make me happy. I've got the gold medal. I worked hour upon hour and missed proms and dates and times with friends and worked myself to death. And it looks like other medals I've gotten over and over again my whole life. Is this it? And for the next four years, she went into depression that was really made worse when she had a very significant injury and wasn't allowed to participate in any other Olympic Games. And it was during that time she said, I felt God saying, there's so much more. But it's not found in the things of the world. It's found in me. And that's when Sean Johnson gave her life to Jesus Christ and it changed everything about her. She's got a book you can pick up that, that tells all about it. Winning Balance. Uh, about how the things of life have to be put in perspective through the power of Jesus. You may be out there today. And like Sean Johnson, you've been trying a lot of different paths to make you happy and feel fulfilled. And to give you what you want in life. And no matter what you've achieved, it just isn't quite making it. And there comes a point where, like she did, you say, there's just something else. And when you look at the glory of God, you begin to see what it is. And when you give yourself to him, like Isaiah, everything will change. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for loving us so much. Our prayer, Lord, is that you would help us to to be drawn to your love and your glory knowing that when we do, it changes everything about us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come to this time of invitation, and really, the invitation's already been made. If you feel God speaking to you and you have never accepted him as Lord and Savior, it is not a coincidence you're in this room right now. Make that decision. Come down the south, say, I want Jesus Christ in my life. I want to be moving in that right direction. Maybe you need to follow him in baptism. Maybe you've been coming to this church for a long time and you say, hey, I, I want to join this church, be a part of this church family. And maybe you're just sitting out there and say, no, what I need is I need a better appreciation of what Jesus did for me so that I live differently when I go out in the world. However God's leading you, this is your time as we stand together and we sing.
Glad you were uh, here today. Uh, coming up this uh, Saturday is the uh, annual uh, Kentucky State Handbell Festival. It's at St. Matthew's Baptist Church at 3.30, and uh, our handbell choir will be a part of that and hope that you can come and be a part of it. Brother Larry? Come on up, guys. Okay. Uh, just wanted you to know, you cannot ask Paula and Barry anything about me personally, okay? Because they, they knew me from Oldham County High School, and... and uh, so, n- no personal questions, uh, because whatever they say, I'm sure it's not as bad as they may think. We'll get together with y'all later on, okay? This is Barry and, and Paula Coates, and, and uh, they uh, feel led to come to join Westport Road Baptist Church, where you can serve and be a part of our church. And, and as I tell everybody, you've come to the greatest church in the world. And so, we, uh, you'll be praying for them, will you not? Amen. Amen. Great. Our deacons are over here, and they're going to be coming by and speaking to uh, Barry and Paula. And follow in right behind them and introduce yourself to them, please. I'm going to ask David Strange if he'll dismiss us, please. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much just for another great service in your house, God. Just an opportunity for us to reset ourselves after uh, the week that some of us may have had, Lord, of traveling or working or family issues or whatever. God, it's just so nice to come to a place to where uh, we know that we can just put it all aside and just focus on you and just worship you, God, with with a family here that we know loves us despite us and um, will always be there for us, God. We just praise you for that and just um, help us to go out the rest of this week and just show others your love through our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.